All right, well, good evening. Welcome to the mine. All right, you want to be encouraged tonight? All right, let's get into the book of Hebrews, to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to pick it up in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. It's where we're going to pick it up from last week. And I sent out that email because as I was studying for this week, I just, God just sort of like, wow, God, there's so many encouraging principles from the passage of chapters. And we're going to cover a lot of chapters tonight. Usually we don't. But we're going to come back and then pick up some other stuff in those chapters in the weeks to come. But I just wanted to zero in on some really cool, encouraging stuff because all of us battle with discouragement at times, or we know of somebody who struggles with discouragement at times. We all need encouraged. And the Bible teaches that God is the God of encouragement, that His Word is encouragement, and that He wants us as His people to encourage each other. In fact, twice, we've already seen one, twice in the book of Hebrews, the writer encourages us as Christians to encourage each other. And so there is that ministry of encouragement even that we have for each other. Alright? And I, I just hope and pray that because you have come here tonight, taking your Tuesday night, listening to the beat and everything, <laughs> that you're going to be encouraged. Alright? I want you to leave here encouraged. And my goal is not only will you leave here encouraged, but you will have some some information that you can take with you to encourage others. Because I believe that one of the reasons why God has you here tonight is God is very strategic. And God, somewhere along the line, whether it's maybe tomorrow or this coming week or in the next couple of weeks, is going to have you rub up against somebody to where you can use the encouragement that you have gained tonight and you can help encourage them as well. That's the way God does it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, God comforts us in our tribulation so that in turn we can comfort others with the same comfort that He gave us. And that's just a general principle. So I guarantee you that God wants you and I to pass on what He's going to share with us tonight to others. So it's going to be twofold. I hope God will encourage your heart tonight and then God can use that to encourage others as well. Let's pray. Let's get started tonight asking God to just... Again, get rid of all the noise, the distractions as much as possible, and to help us be encouraged tonight through His Word. Lord, we thank You so much for Your encouragement in our lives, for Your constant coming alongside of us and just loving us and caring enough about us to just always be there to give us an encouraging word or Whatever. We don't limit you in any way to the ways that you can encourage us. And we know and acknowledge that you can encourage us through people. And Lord, I, I just pray tonight that each of us would not only be encouraged, but be uh, encouraged to be an encourager. And to pass along, Lord, your word and your encouragement to others that we will come in contact with. Sort of as Lynn talked about Sunday, how we're always looking for next. And we're always looking for that person that may be just one step behind us. That we learn something that they just haven't learned yet and we can pass it along to encourage them. And then, Father, we just want to lift up Seth to you tonight. We miss him here tonight, oh, helping us to worship you in music. And we just pray, Father, that you would just heal his collarbone uh, completely and quickly Father, we, we would pray that uh, maybe he would not have to have surgery, but if, if surgery is what it's going to take to get that thing healed up correctly and quickly, then Lord, you know what's best. And we leave Seth and his injury in your hands. We thank you, Lord, for his spirit. His spirit is good. His attitude is good. But Lord, he is physically hurting. And he's in a lot of pain all the time. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help that pain to subside and just encourage him tonight as only you can. And let him know, even right now at home, that there's this group in the mind who are praying for him and who are thinking about him and missing him right now. 
And may he be even encouraged by that tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We have people sitting on the floor. This is not good. Could we have some people that you have chairs next to you? Just raise your hand so that we could have seats. Come on down and sit. Come on down. We have some seats here. We don't want anybody to have to stand or sit on the floor in any way. Yeah, there probably is. There's chairs out in the hallway that we can grab. Yes. You might be taking your life into your hands if you go out there, but... And I'll just wait a second and we'll get started in just a second. You know, I've got to say though, when we hired Jeff Gokey, we... I'm telling you, nobody gets those fifth and sixth graders fired up like Jeff Gokey can. I'm telling you, he's just, yeah, that's true, that's true. Oh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, yeah, about the comfort that God uh, comforts us with, that we in turn then can comfort others with that same comfort. Thank you guys, gals, so much. I think we're covered now. All right. All right, here's where we're going to begin tonight. Again, one of the beauties of the mind and how I design it is that you don't have to be here every week. Certainly, you can listen to the weeks that you miss on the, on the web so that any Tuesday that you miss, you can listen to that. In fact, I had a gal the other week. She doesn't even ever come to the mind on Tuesday night, but she listens to me on iPod as she's walking during the week uh, and just says how much she appreciates that. So you can listen to those. But also, I tell people, each week can stand on its own. So that you don't have to be here every week in order to get what God has for you that particular week. But I just want to preface that by saying this. Remember last week, if you were here and if you read the passage leading up to the passage we're talking about tonight, as we begin tonight, the writer of Hebrews was pretty hard on those people last week. Uh, He was basically saying that one of the reasons why you're struggling so much is because you haven't taken advantage of all the opportunities that God has given you to grow and to mature in your faith. And part of the reason why you're struggling is your own responsibility. So he was a little hard on all of us last week as far as urging us to maturity and how important that is to keep growing and maturing in the Lord. But then he wants to come back and say, hey, I know I was a little hard on you last week, but I want to encourage you this week with just a bunch of positive stuff. And I want to begin in chapter 6, verse 9, because you'll notice in that verse, here's an encouragement right away, that there are those in your life who believe in you. Because notice, after what he says about the fact that maybe they weren't where they should have been, but notice he says, but in your case, Hebrews 6, verse 9, dear friends, even though we speak like this, we are convinced of better things relating to your salvation. In other words, he's basically saying, okay, you maybe didn't take advantage of all the opportunities in the past, but I'm confident that you're going you're to turn things around. I believe in you. I believe in your God. And I believe that you're going you're gonna to make the right choice here. Because you basically have a fork in the road, spiritually speaking. And instead of continuing down the road towards sluggishness and all of that that we talked about last week. No, you're going you're gonna to take the right road this time. I'm convinced of that. And there's that aspect of knowing that there are people in your life who truly believe in you and they are placing confidence in you. That is huge. And listen, you may say, well, I don't really have anybody like that in my life. God will bring somebody like that in your life if you allow Him to. And God Himself will come into your life like that. I mean, even if you don't have anybody, you go back to the Old Testament, to Elijah, the story of Elijah, where the great prophet Elijah was depressed and discouraged to the point of saying, God, take my life. And the Bible says God came down to him to encourage him. He fed him. uh, he, He encouraged him through his spirit and through his word. And God will do the same thing to you and I. God doesn't want us to stay in that discouraged state. And God believes in us. And and God wants others to believe in us as well and to have that confidence in us. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is doing to his audience in verse 9 when he says, we're convinced a better thing. He's raising the bar. He's, He's basically saying, 
here's where you are, but I know you're going to go up here. I know you're going to do the right thing. And that is huge. Keep your finger there in Hebrews. I want you to show you that this kind of attitude is throughout Scripture, and it's really a scriptural attitude. Just go back one book of the Bible to the book of Philemon. It's just one chapter, so you might miss it. It's between Titus and Hebrews. And go back to the book of Philemon. It's just right before the book of Hebrews. And Paul here is writing to Philemon, and he's asking him to do something pretty huge. Okay? But I want you to see Paul's way he does it. Alright? I want you to go over to verse... uh, Where is it here? I'm going to find it here. Okay. Oh, here, verse 21. Verse 21 of chapter 1. It's only one chapter. Paul says, Since I was confident that you would obey. Wow, that's huge. Paul says, I have confidence in your obedience, Philemon. And I don't know about you, but if another Christian says that to me, that makes me all the more want to do the right thing and be obedient and, and whatever. When I know somebody else has that confidence in my obedience, that's huge. And that was Paul to Philemon. And then notice he goes on in verse 21 to say, I have confidence that you would, o- that you would obey. I wrote to you because I knew that you would do even more than what I am asking you to do. So in other words, Paul says, I'm not only confident in your obedience, Philemon, I'm confident that you're going to go the extra mile. That you're going to do even more than I imagined. That's huge. Because when, when we have people in our life that come at us from that angle, that, that put that kind of confidence and belief in us, I guarantee you, at least with most human beings, that raises the level. That, that says to me, you know what, I, I don't want to disappoint God. I don't want to disappoint them. They believe in me. They have confidence in me. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I don't betray that trust and that confidence that they have put in me. Too many times in our society, it's just the opposite. Yeah, I asked so-and-so to do it, but I know it won't get done. It won't get done the right way, and it won't get done on time. And yada, yada. You know, it's like, and you know what? If we really believe that, even if we don't say that to them, if we're asking them to do that, it's going to come across that way. We're, we're going to say it without having to say it. We, we need to believe in people and have confidence in them in the right way to raise their encouragement, to say, hey, you know, I realize it's not you, it's what God can do through you, but I'm going to trust that you're going to lean upon the Lord when you need to, and you're going to depend upon Him for your strength. And it's not going to be you doing it alone, but God doing it through you. But I'm confident you're going to do it, and you're going to do it right. The people who believe in you are huge. The whole book of Titus, the book right before Philemon, is all about Paul and God believing in this young man Titus, even when he didn't believe in himself. They had confidence that he could go to the Isle of Crete and he could be a leader on that Isle to bring about the establishment of churches all over that Isle. He didn't believe he could do it, but Paul believed he could and God believed he could. And because God believed he could and Paul believed he could, he went. And guess what? We still have a Christian witness on the Isle of Crete today because of what happened through the book of Titus. Because somebody believed in Titus. Hopefully somebody believes in you and has put that confidence in you and instills that belief and confidence in you throughout your life. That's so important. And that's what the writer of Hebrews was doing back in Hebrews chapter 6. All right. Then if we go down, if you go back to Hebrews 6, look at verse 10. Another encouragement to the discouraged is this. Not only are there those that you need to look for who believe in you and have confidence in you, but don't ever forget, God has not forgotten you. When you and I are discouraged and we're battling discouragement or we're going through a discouraging time, guess one of the things that we do? We think God's forgotten us. God doesn't notice me anymore. He doesn't know what I'm going through. If He really knew what I'm going through, He wouldn't allow me to go through this. God has forgotten me. I am no longer a blip on His radar. When the Bible says, first of all, God never forgets about us. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says to these folks, God is not even unjust as so to forget your work and the love you've demonstrated for His name and having served and continuing to serve the saints. And we talked a little bit about that, so I'm not going to go into all that verse this week, but I do want to point that out. God has not forgotten you. 
He's not even not going to forget your work and the labor of love that you have ministered to the saints about. He certainly isn't going to forget you. You are always in the very center of His radar. You are never out of His focus. God will never forget about you. In fact, the, the, the wording that He uses here at the beginning of verse 10, God is not unjust, means that if God would forget about you or I at any point, that would, that would mean He would cease to be God. Because one of His attributes is that He's just. And to forget about us for a time would mean that He's unjust, according to His own Word. God cannot be unjust. He is un-unjustable, if you will. That's not a word. Okay. So make sure that you always remember that God has not forgotten you. And then, verse 11 and 12. Don't give in to discouragement. Alright? Don't give in to discouragement. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Notice what he says, but we passionately want each of you to demonstrate the same eagerness for the fulfillment of your hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and perseverance inherit the promises. He's saying, look guys, you're so close. And remember, the writer of Hebrews was about ready to, or the reader of this book, they were about ready to give up. They were about ready to throw in the towel. They were about ready to say, I've had enough persecution for the cause of Christ. I've suffered enough. I'm just not going to go down this road anymore. I'm giving in to the pressure. I'm giving up. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't give in to discouragement. Encourage yourself in the Lord. So that, verse 12, you may not be sluggish indefinitely. Which goes back to last week. They had become sluggish. And he's saying, you've got to get out of that no push spiritually. And you've got to move on and imitate those who through faith and perseverance inherit the promises. Throughout this book, he always is reminding us there's always going to be times in our Christian life where, where we could give in to the pressure and, and stop clinging to those promises and clinging to hope. As I've shared with you before, faith is believing God's promises. Hope is clinging to them sometimes. And sometimes we literally have to cling to God's promises because sometimes it just seems like there's no end. Where's the end? Where's the fulfillment? And he says, we've got to continue to cling to those until the fulfillment. But sometimes that fulfillment isn't in our timetable. And when you begin to think about all the examples in Hebrews that he uses, that's huge. Because think about all the promises that he gave to the Old Testament saints about the coming Messiah. And guess what? Most of them didn't even see the coming of the Messiah. But that didn't mean they ever stopped clinging to the hope that God would one day bring the Messiah along. Or how about Abraham and Sarah? Whenever God promised that you will be the father of many nations and your seed will be as innumerable as the sand on the seashore... And there Abraham is about 100 and Sarah about 80 and they're both looking at it like, yeah, right. <laughs> and because they wavered, because they began to waver because God wasn't coming through with this promise of a son, they, like we do many times, took matters into their own hands and you know the whole Hagar thing. And that's why the whole Middle East is a mess today. Because Abraham and Sarah didn't wait and do it in God's timing and took matters into their own hands and made a big mess out of everything. If they would have just waited for the promise of God, Isaac would have come along. It would have been a whole big different ballgame. You see, God gives us these promises. But sometimes we've got to hang in there and we just can't give up and give in to discouragement and encourage ourselves in the Lord. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. In fact, keep your finger there in Hebrews chapter 6. Go all the way back to an Old Testament book, 1 Samuel. Way back in your Bible. To 1 Samuel chapter 30. You want to talk about Someone being encouraged in the Lord. Here's an example. David. Pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 3. 
David and his men are returning to the city and they found it burned. There was warfare going on. Their wives, their sons and daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the men who were with him wept loudly until they could weep no more. I've been there. I've been there. I've been so discouraged and so hurt. Nothing more left. Pretty discouraging, right? David's two wives had been taken captive. And David, verse 6, was very upset for the men were thinking of stoning him. Each man grieved bitterly over his sons and daughters, but don't miss the last phrase of verse 6. But David drew strength from the Lord his God. Literally, God encouraged David when he was at the bottom. God came into his life and encouraged him. Don't give in to discouragement. It's a choice. If you want another good book that I probably should put up on the website for recommended reading, if any of you, if some of you have never read it, and for those of you that do, I'm sure you would recommend it to others. If you've never heard of the book, Happiness is a Choice, I'd encourage you to get that book. Happiness is a choice. If you know of somebody who's discouraged or going through depression, I would recommend the book, Happiness is a Choice. David had a choice of giving in to discouragement or allowing the Lord to encourage his heart. And David chose the Lord's encouragement. You and I have that choice. The, the readers of Hebrews had that choice. Do they give in to discouragement? Or back to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, do they continue through faith and perseverance to inherit the promises? Alright? Then back to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. The next principle that can encourage us, besides the fact that there are those who believe in you, God hasn't forgotten you, don't give in to discouragement, encourage yourself in the Lord, is this. God's promises are reliable. He ends verse 12 talking about the promises, and then beginning in verse 13, he talks about the promises of God and how reliable they are. He basically says, listen, you can bank on the promises of God because of the character of God. And if that's not enough, not only in God's character, but the fact that God made a promise and then he swore, even though he didn't have to swear, you know, because he said, you know, nowadays, you know, people in order to make a point or to really get people to think and buy into the fact they're telling the truth, they'll say, well, I swear. Well, if you're always telling the truth, do you really have to swear? You know, if you're a person who your word is your bond and people just know you're, you're, you just tell the truth, you don't even need to swear. God even went a step further. He didn't need to swear either. He's God. He's never lied. All of His promises have always come true. But guess what? So that you and I might be more encouraged, God swore with an oath that His promises were true. Notice verse 13. They're taking some of our chairs away from us, aren't they? Okay, we're going to have to... Jeff and I are going to have a battle. I can just see it coming. Now, when God made His promise to Abraham, since He could swear by no one greater, He swore by Himself, saying, Surely I will bless you greatly and multiply your descendants abundantly. And so notice, by persevering... Well, we know Abraham... Didn't always do everything right, but he did persevere. And because of that, Abraham inherited the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and the oath serves as a condition to end all dispute. In the same way, God wanted to demonstrate more clearly to the heirs of the promise that his purpose was unchangeable. And so he intervened with an oath. I love this verse. So that we, not just the readers of Hebrews back then in the first century, but we who have found refuge in God, may find strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. You see, God doesn't want you and I to just be encouraged. He wants you and I to be strongly encouraged. He doesn't want to just come alongside and encourage us a little bit. God wants to come into your life and encourage you a lot. And that word encouragement is the Greek word parakaleo. It literally means to come alongside. That's what the Holy Spirit, the Bible says the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Parakaleo, the One who comes alongside of us 
to encourage and teach and all of that. God is always sending either Himself or someone else in our lives to come alongside and to walk that path with us to encourage us. God may be calling upon you tonight to come alongside of somebody in your life to encourage them. That's what the word encouragement means. To come alongside of. Now notice this though. I love the word strong there. Strong encouragement. Here's what that word means. Always available. In other words, our strong encouragement or our encouragement or coming alongside is always available because it indwells us. And all we have to do is tap into it. I don't have to, I don't have to ask God, God, give me encouragement. Although I can pray that. It's not wrong to pray that. But a, a more correct way to say it is, God, I know You've given me all the encouragement I need. I just need to tap into that encouragement that always indwells me. Because the Holy Spirit of God indwells me. And if the Holy Spirit of God indwells me, He is the parakaleo that is the strong encouragement of God that will always come alongside and be there at all times, in all places, everywhere, anytime to encourage me. Always available. Strong encouragement. The picture that I got in my mind, I don't know why I got this because I don't have them, is a guy with big muscles. A guy with big muscles, okay, he's got those muscles. We see the muscles are there. He doesn't always have to use the muscles. He doesn't always have to have those muscles lift something very heavy. But they're always available in case he needs them. Those muscles are there to do what he needs them to do. Same picture here. What the Bible is saying is you've always got that strong encouragement within you through the person of the Holy Spirit. You just sort of got to flex those spiritual muscles and let it out. And let God encourage you. So that as God strongly encourages you and I, we can hold fast to the hope that is set before us. I like that phrase. The hope that is set before us. It literally means that our future destiny is set. And that's one of the reasons why we can be encouraged. That in spite of the yuck that we might go through down here on the earth, we've got to at times look past that yuck to the hope that is set. Things on this earth are going to be unstable. Things are always going to be changing on the earth. And we're always striving to look for security and stability in earthly things and temporal things. But we've got to set our hope completely in God and realize that our hope is set. Set ahead of us. And later on in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, the Bible says Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was set before Him. Now, there was nothing about the cross that was joyful. But He could endure the cross because He knew that after He rose from the dead, that death was not going to hold Him that there was joy on the other side of that cross. That's the way God wants you and I to live our lives. That what we're going through now may be yuck. But we've got to not look down at the yuck. We've got to look up at the hope and the joy that is set before us so that we can continue to move forward and not get quagmired in the things of this life. That's why then in verse 19... He says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. And I've shared this with you before. This is one of my key verses in the Bible. Our hope is an anchor. And this verse, and verse 20 is teaching this, and I'm going to just touch on it in just a minute, that we are anchored, if you are a Christian, and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, here's another encouraging thing. You are anchored to Jesus Himself. That's pretty encouraging. Because notice he says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, sure and steadfast, which reaches inside behind the curtain. And again, he's going back to the Old Testament imagery of the Holy of Holies was separated from the outer part of the tabernacle by a curtain. And only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. No longer now. Jesus Christ came, shed His blood, you know that the curtain and the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. And now Jesus, verse 20, 
our forerunner entered on our behalf since he became a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And he's basically saying the anchor that you have then is Jesus Christ himself. You are anchored to him. No wonder we can be always encouraged. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The anchor is huge. The anchor actually is the most used Christian symbol in history. In fact, for any of you, and I've not, but I want to get there someday, that have been to Rome, and you've went down into the catacombs, one of the things that they will tell you on that tour of the catacombs where the Christians hid out is that the most common symbol etched on the walls of the catacombs in Rome is not the fish. It is the anchor. You see the anchor more than anything else etched on the walls of those catacombs in Rome. The fish is second, but the anchor was number one. Because the anchor symbolized for those Christians the hope that they had. And the fact that they were anchored to the promises of God and to the Son of God. And they were clinging to those promises even in the days of those Roman emperors who were throwing them to the lions in the Colosseum and all of that. They were anchored. In spite of what they were going through, they were anchored. So the anchor is a huge Christian symbol. The earliest and most used Christian symbol in history is the anchor because of what it meant to these folks and what it should mean to you and I as well. Before we go into chapter 7 tonight, comments or questions? Are you at least a little bit encouraged now? A little bit? Alright, we're going to keep going. Second half is going to be better than the first. Alright, yes. I want to say Minerth Meyer. Is it? Okay, we'll have it on the website. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hebrews 7. I want you to go over to verse 19, actually. Again, we're going to go back and pick up some of this stuff in weeks ahead, but I want you to see this. One of the things that the writer of Hebrews, again, is doing in this book, who he's writing to, is saying, look, the Old Covenant, it was good, there was nothing wrong with the Old Covenant, but it was insufficient to totally deal with what needed to be dealt with, which was our sin. It covered sin, and it revealed sin, but it could not remove sin permanently. It could not deal with it on a permanent basis. So notice in verse 19, he reminds us, for the law made nothing perfect. That's one of the reasons why, again, we teach so passionately to folks, you and I can't be saved by adhering the law. You can't be saved by doing enough good works. God didn't even design the law to do that. Because the law can make... There's no power in the law to make someone perfect. The power to make someone perfect before God is found in the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's how we attain a relationship before God. The law can make nothing perfect. On the other hand, a better hope is introduced. A better hope through Jesus Christ that you and I have through which we can draw near to God. And he wanted these people to continue to draw near to God because it would be in drawing near to God that they would find that encouragement for their souls. One of the oddities that we do is that when, when we get discouraged, we usually draw away from God and draw away from His people and draw away from His Word and church and prayer and all that. We do just the opposite of what we should do. That when we begin to start to slide spiritually and get discouraged or get depressed, we pull away. No, we should actually run further and, and get even closer to the Lord. Because it's only in that intimate relationship that He's going to truly encourage us and draw near to Him. But here's the verse I want you to see as well. But I wanted to start with verse 19. Go down to verse 22. Jesus is our security. Accordingly, Jesus then has become the guarantee or surety of a better covenant. God, the writer of Hebrews says, was going to get rid of the old covenant 
When Jesus came, He was going to usher in what's called the New Covenant, the New Testament, if you will. And He is the guarantee. He is the surety. He is the security. Our security is found in Jesus Christ and no one else. There is no security in anything else or anyone else. Our security is found in Him. And you can take that to the bank. You can take Him to the bank. He is there for you. He will never leave you, the writer of Hebrews says later on in chapter 13, nor forsake you. He is your security. And then, I love this, verse 25, He is always praying for you. Don't ever forget that. So the writer of Hebrews says, He is able to save completely those who come to God through Him because He always lives to intercede for them. Very important too, the word completely. It means completely. It means there's not anything that God can't deal with in our lives. Can't heal. Can't overcome. Can't enable us to have victory over. He saves completely. Completely. He wants to give us total healing. Total wholeness. Total spiritual rest. And He is able to save completely and will save completely. And one of the reasons why the writer of Hebrews says is because He's always praying for you and I. One of the most encouraging verses that I remind myself of when I've been discouraged in my past is this verse, Hebrews 7.25, that I sort of envision Jesus Christ Himself, the Lord of glory, lifting Jeff Royce in prayer. That encourages me. And He prays for you too. And because He's God, He can focus upon us completely. I don't know how He does it. But He can. He loves you and He's praying for you. So, don't ever forget Jesus Christ. You know, His ministry, and this is one of the main topics of this book of Hebrews. This book of encouragement for us. That Jesus Christ's ministry did not stop for us on the cross and in His subsequent resurrection. His ministry is still going on for us today, every day. He's praying for us even when we don't think He is. He's praying for us even when we don't remember He is. He's praying for us and trying to encourage us and bring His Spirit to encourage us and bringing other Christians into our life to come alongside and encourage us. He's always ministering to us. Because He wants us to be encouraged in spite of the yuck and the pain and the trials and the tribulation that we will go through down here on this earth. Because this earth is racked and cursed by sin. But through Jesus Christ, we've been delivered. Therefore, we don't have to, to go down on that level. God can raise us up to that abundant life and we can rise to the level above where this world is through Jesus Christ. He's praying for you. Chapter 8, verse 1. So therefore, trust in His heavenly perspective. Just because Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father doesn't mean that, oh my goodness, He's so far away. No, He's as near as your heartbeat. But the cool thing is, because He's in heaven, and He's God, and He has that heavenly perspective, here should be something to encourage us. That because He's in heaven, and He's seated at the, seated at the right hand of God the Father, and has that heavenly perspective, that He's got a perspective that you and I don't have. Therefore, when things happen in our lives, and comes, things come into our lives, and whatever happens and doesn't happen and all of that, here's our view. That, about that big. All we can see is this little, this little viewpoint around us. That's all we've got. God sees it all. God sees the whole perspective. God sees the end from the beginning, the beginning and the end, and all of that. And God sees the whole ball of wax, as we said. Not us. We're limited. We're human. We're tied to this earth. We're tied to time. We're tied to the here and now. And so, all I'm seeing is this right here. God sees this. I'll never forget the first time I went up in an airplane. I thought every Christian should fly at least once in their life. 
Because I'm telling you, the perspective that you and I have down here on this earth, walking around, thinking, wow, this is really big, and I'm in a big ball now, or whatever. And then you get up there, and you go, is that little speck Chandler down there with all those thousands of people in there? And it looks real big, and Cornerstone looks real big on Sunday when there's 3,000 some people here, and then you get up in an airplane and go, is that little speck Cornerstone down there? It's just whole different perspective. That's God from His heavenly perch, if you will. That's why He says the main point of what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest. And of course, again, we've talked about how important the high priesthood of Jesus Christ is. That He's our bridge between us and God. He's our go-between. He's our advocate. He's the one who comes alongside. We have such a high priest, one who has sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. A minister in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle that the Lord, not man, set up. And then he goes in again to start to describe the Old Testament sacrificial system. The bottom line is this, verse 6. Whatever you stack up against Christ, Christ is better. And that's what he's telling them. He's saying, look, these readers were about ready to say, I'm not following Christ any longer, I'm going back to something else. And the writer of Hebrews just comes alongside and says, whatever you turn your back on to Christ and go after is not going to be as good as Christ. So, the only option you really have is just continue to embrace Christ and continue to move. Because Christ is better than anyone or anything else that you could turn from. I've shared with you that verse before. Whenever Jesus... Towards the end of his ministry, a lot of his followers were starting to turn away from him and not follow him anymore. And Jesus turns to his 12 disciples and says, are you going to leave also? And I love Peter's response. He says to Jesus, to whom are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You alone are the son of the living God. Who else are we going to go to? Basically, if I turn my back on you, Jesus, and I go after someone or something else or some other philosophy or some other belief system or whatever, it's not as good as you. So I might as well just continue to embrace you and go after you. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says here. But now Jesus has obtained a superior ministry since the covenant that He mediates is also better and is enacted on better promises. Better everything. One of the themes I told you the very first week of our study of Hebrews is what? Christ is better. <laughs> Christ is better. So whatever you're going to say, okay, i got Christ over here. You just bring anything else over and match it up to Christ. And guess what? It doesn't match up. Christ is always better. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is just doing. He's putting Christ where He belongs. Saying Christ is better. He's to be glorified. He is your friend. He is praying for you. He is your security. He's better. Then chapter 9. If you'll just go over there. I love this. Verse 24 of Hebrews 9. He is for you. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary again made with hands, the representation of the true sanctuary, but into heaven itself. And He appears now in God's presence for us. Wow. Jesus Christ is for you. He's for you. And He appears in God's presence for you and I. If there's any question, Jesus is right there to say, no, no, no. I'm the advocate. Literally defense lawyer. You're not going to throw anything up against them. I died for them. They've accepted me as their personal Savior. Their sin's gone. There's now no for condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Throughout the Bible, whether it was Satan or anyone accusing God's people before the presence of God Himself, Jesus was always there to say, no, 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 no. He appears in the presence of God for you and for me. He's for you. I love that verse in Romans 8.31. If God be for us, who can be against us? Here's the problem though. When we begin to slip into discouragement, we begin to wonder, is God for me? And that's where we have to tell ourselves the truth, going back to that book, and we have to remind ourselves of the truth of Scripture, that even though I might 
That lie might creep into my mind that God is not for me. I got to identify that lie, push that lie out of my mind and agree with God that God is for me, not against me. And that he has only my best interest at heart. He's for me. Let me show you an Old Testament example of Jesus appearing before the presence of God. To Go back to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is one of the minor prophets. So you'll find Zechariah towards the end of the Old Testament. The last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi, right before Matthew. Well, if you found Malachi right before the New Testament book of Matthew, then just go back one book and you'll find Zechariah. That wasn't too hard, was it? And I want you to go to Zechariah chapter 3. Now, this isn't the Joshua, the book of Joshua, the... Going around Jericho, Jericho. This isn't that Joshua, okay? This is Joshua the high priest, all right? Differentiated from Joshua, the book of Joshua. Next, I saw Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The term Satan means adversary or accuser. Satan will always accuse us. He will always bring things up of our past, the things we've done in the past, Always try to put us on a guilt trip. Always bring things up. He is our accuser. Guess who our advocate is? Jesus Christ. Always appearing in the presence of God for us. This is just one example throughout history. I love this. The Lord said to Satan, May the Lord rebuke you, Satan. I wish I could have been there for that rebuke. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this man like a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. But the angel spoke up to those standing all around and said, Remove his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, I have freely forgiven your iniquity and will dress you in fine clothing. And I guarantee you, folks, any one of you who's accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's you in that verse as well. Because I guarantee you, Satan, at some time in your life and throughout your life, will accuse you before God. And he will accuse you to your own mind. And he will lie to you because he is the father of lies. But the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 9.24 says, One of the other ministries of Jesus is he appears in the presence of God for us. And whether Satan or any demon or anybody else tries to accuse our standing before God, Jesus is right there to say, Whoa, whoa, whoa. I have freely forgiven. I've taken off the dirty clothes and put on the clean ones. They are dressed in my righteousness. You have nothing to accuse them of. Wow. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. That's encouraging. He appears for us. You would think Jesus had... You know, one of the things... Doesn't Jesus have anything better to do? You know... It's just me, and you know, there's always that, you know, pity. Oh, it's just me, just little old me. I'm... No, you, you, don't, you don't get it. Jesus wants to spend His eternity ministering for you. He wants to pray for you. He wants to continue to encourage you. He, does, he gets more joy out of being there for you than we could ever imagine on a human level. That's how much Jesus loves you and I. That's how much He loves us. So notice if you go back to Hebrews chapter 9, another encouragement. And that's Jesus is coming again. Verse 27 of Hebrews chapter 9, And just as people are appointed to die once and then to face judgment, so also, after Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly await Him, He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, because He took care of that the first time once and for all, but now to bring the fulfillment of our salvation. So that as John says, when we see Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Rescue is coming. 
this earth and all that we're dealing on on this earth and all the people that we're dealing with and our own sin nature that we're dealing with and all the yuck that we're dealing with, one day is going to be gone. And as we studied in the book of Revelation, death will be gone. Sin will be gone. Pain will be gone. It's all going to be gone. Jesus Christ is coming to bring that time to us. So keep your eyes on Him and eagerly await His coming. And then I was going to end with this and have Seth do some worship stuff. (laughs) God always has the final word. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 9, look at verse 11. But now Christ has come as the high priest of the good things to come. Don't ever forget that. There's good now. Some days it's hard, harder to see than others, but there's good now. There's encouragement now. And even if you've lost everything in the world, they can't take your relationship with Christ from you. So there's still some good now. But don't ever forget, there's good to come. And Christ has come to be the high priest of the good things to come. And keep your eyes focused on the good things to come. Verse 12, Therefore He entered once for all into the most holy place, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood. And so He Himself secured eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkled on those who are defiled, consecrated them, and provided ritual purity, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our consciences from dead works to worship the living God? You see, the Old Testament sacrifices provided a ritual purity. Ritual. The blood of Jesus Christ provides real purity. A purity that no animal blood could ever provide. Oh, they were important. Please don't misunderstand the writer of Hebrews or me at all tonight. The Old Testament is so important. And all that God did in the Old Testament was important because it pointed to Jesus Christ and the ultimate sacrifice that was come. But don't think like some of these Jews were struggling with that somehow Judaism and those Old Testament sacrifices were going to somehow bring them into a personal relationship with God. All they were to do is to have them look ahead to the Lamb of God that would eventually come to take away the sin of the world. The blood of animals, the book of Hebrews says, could only cover our sin for a temporary time. The blood of Christ can take away our sin permanently, forever. And so he says, because of all this information that I've given you tonight, because of all these promises, because of the character of God, because of the ministry of Jesus Christ, he says, should not this stir within us a heart that wants to worship and serve God? Not because we have to in order to attain a relationship with God, but because we want to out of a heart overflowing with gratitude because of all that God has done, is doing, and will do in our lives. God calls us then to worship. And that's what our hearts should be. Like, wow, God. Wow, God. Thank You for encouraging me through Your Word tonight. Thank You for... Reminding me of all the cool things that you have done, that you are doing right now, and that you will do one day just for me. Just for me. That is so cool. You, did you get that book? Minerth Meyer. Alright, so the, the authors of Happiness is a Choice is Minerth Meyer. How much? Did you get on like uh, Amazon or anything to just find out how much that is? I think Amazon's probably about ten bucks. Okay, well worth eleven thirty-five. If you know of anybody who's battling discouragement or depression, I've probably used happiness as a choice, other than telling yourself the truth, more than any other book in counseling in the last twenty-plus years. Good book, good book. 
comments, questions, thoughts about the verses and stuff we've looked at tonight. I know I've thrown a lot at you, but you got to understand, God was just encouraging me all week with this stuff, so I just had to like, you know. No, 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 you're fine, you're fine. Very good question, and I probably should have touched on that. And I have touched on it a little bit in the mind throughout the years. I believe that the angel of the Lord is the pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Again, we believe the Bible teaches that even though Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, we understand He is God, therefore He is eternal, therefore He existed before Bethlehem. And the reason I buy that the angel of the Lord, I interpret it that way, is when an angel, just an angel, not God the angel of the Lord, but when an angel appeared in the Old Testament, and somebody was trying to worship them. Some human being was like, oh, I need to worship you. The angel would say, no, 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 no. Don't worship me. I'm an angel. I'm a created being just like you. But when the angel of the Lord would appear and someone would worship them, the angel of the Lord would accept their worship. And that's a great clue that that is Jesus Christ. In fact, another place, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, I think it's in Joshua chapter 5. Uh, where Joshua is getting ready to go in and take some more land and stuff, and the angel of the Lord, Jesus, appears to Joshua. And you remember the story? Joshua, the big military hero, gets out his sword and says, Whose side are you on? And Jesus says, I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take over, Joshua. Just get out of my way. You know, I'm like, whoa, that's so cool. I just, I don't know, I, I just love it. So I believe that because if you, if you read the things that the angel of the Lord says and the worship that the angel of the Lord receives, that it clearly is the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. But no, excellent question. Right. And again, I think one of the clearest things is God only receives worship. Angels never received worship. In fact, like I said, if you come across a passage where just an angel... I think, just, sorry, angels, I'm not trying to, you know... But just an angel appeared. Anytime a human being tried to worship them, they were always like, get up, get up. You know, I'm not to be worshipped. So I think that's a real key there. But good question. Yes. Great question. Why did they stop doing the sacrificial system and all of that? What are they doing now in place of that? Uh, Jesus said, <laughs> in fact, we're going to study that in the book of Hebrews, that God was trying to get the Jews to realize that the old covenant was becoming obsolete and that the uh, New Covenant was being ushered in and that they didn't need to do that. In fact, if you go to uh, Hebrews chapter 8, look at verse 13. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. When God speaks of a New Covenant, He makes the first obsolete. Now what is growing obsolete and aging is about to disappear. Here's when it disappeared. When God allowed the Romans in 70 A.D. to come into Jerusalem and destroy the city and destroy the temple. There was no place for sacrifice anymore. And from that time till now, the Jews have had no place to sacrifice. Therefore, they don't sacrifice. But, if you know your prophecy, and if you were here for the study of Revelation, you know your prophecy that during the first half of the tribulation period, one of the things the Antichrist is going to do is going to allow the Jewish nation, as part of this peace agreement between the Palestinians and the Jews, to begin to sacrifice again, which also then implies that at some point he allowed them to rebuild their temple again. And all of that, very, very interesting, isn't it? That's why I tell, I think, did I show you with about the Antichrist last week? I had a couple questions last week because of the political landscape and because of the upcoming 2008 election. It seems like these elections get sooner and sooner every four years. But I had a couple people, because I answer like a lot of the, most of the Bible questions that come into the church and stuff, they hand over to me. And so I had a couple questions last week asking, I won't use names, is so-and-so the Antichrist? <laughs> <laughs> And I said, no. Uh, and here's one of the reasons why. I said, we've got to remember, 
The Bible does not specifically tell us who the Antichrist is going to be. It just generally gives us some characteristics about the Antichrist. So those sacrifices that they haven't done since 70 A.D. are going to start back up again sometime around the beginning of the tribulation period. They don't do them now. And if you ask them, I'm going to come back to the Antichrist. You ask them now why they don't do them now. Uh, their answer would be that in this time, they're offering sacrifices. They're just offering spiritual sacrifices, not animal sacrifices. And then when I press them on the point that even in their Old Testament scriptures, I don't even have to use the New Testament. The Old Testament taught that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. How do you get around that? They just sort of stutter and stammer and that kind of stuff. So they don't really have an answer for why they're not sacrificing now. Because even in the Old Testament, it taught that you had to have blood sacrifice in order to deal with this whole forgiveness thing. Yeah. Good. I'm glad. No. <laughs> um, back to the Antichrist. Here's the thing you've got you to remember what the Bible teaches about the Antichrist. The Antichrist, one of the main reasons why he is going to be able to come onto the world stage and take over is because for the first time in history, He's going to have what seems to be the answer to the whole Middle East mess. That's why he's going to be able to get to that kind of power. And, and here's what's key, and why we know that the people in America... See, why we think in America that the Antichrist has to be from America, I don't know. But maybe that says something about us, I don't know. But here's the, key, here's the key characteristic of the Antichrist. The Bible teaches that the Antichrist, at least for a while, is going to be somebody that the Palestinians totally trust and somebody that the Jews totally trust in order to bring them to this point so that they coexist in peace. There is nobody on the American political landscape right now that the Jews or the Palestinians totally trust. Nobody. Now, I'm not saying that that means that the Antichrist isn't alive today. He could be. But all I'm saying is that the Bible teaches that one of the general characteristics of the Antichrist is he's going to be somebody, don't forget, that doesn't come out in the world and go, I'm the Antichrist. No. (laughs) It's not the way Satan works. In fact, I'm not promoting this, but it's a little bit like Read the Left Behind series. Okay, I don't agree with everything Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins does in those series books and stuff. They take some liberties there, obviously. Uh, But to a degree, the Antichrist is going to come across like a good guy. That's how he's going to get there. It's what the Bible says. Satan masquerades as an angel of light and his ministers masquerade as angels of righteousness. And that's the way he's going to come across. And so he's going to be a real peace person. At least that's what it looks like. Okay? Peace. And he's going to be trusted by the Palestinians and the Jews. That's huge. That's huge. So now, I'll just say this. If in the next couple of years, if you see somebody that comes on the world stage and all of a sudden the Palestinians and the Jews are going, I can trust that person. Whoa! Look out! You know, that, that'd be pretty interesting. But right now, I don't see anybody, at least in America, that that's, uh, that's with. You know, so we'll, we'll leave it there. Could be. Could be. Definitely, I will say this as far as... Yeah, yeah. I will say this. I think this is important and I'll wrap it up. Because, um, I, I mean, this is in my lifetime, but many people, especially in America, uh, when Reagan came on the scene and, of course, communism went down and the Berlin Wall went down, everybody thought, oh, Soviet Union, Russia, they're out of the picture, right? They're just... If you knew your Bible, you knew that Russia was never going to be out of the picture. That just because the Berlin Wall came down and seemingly communism went down, the Bible has always taught, Old and New Testament, that at least what we know now as the Soviet Union or Russia was always going to be a key player in the end times. And it is. So again, you've got to... What we read and what we see even happening in our lifetime, we've always got to come back to the Bible and say, okay, what's the Word of God, though, say about that so that we don't get off one way or the other on these things? That's what's really key. You guys are wonderful. 
Can I ask you all back next Tuesday? Would you all come back next Tuesday? Let me say this. Thank you. We're going to encourage you again next week because we've got to go back now and pick up some stuff in chapter 7, 8, and 9 that we didn't touch on tonight that we need to encourage you with as well. 120 people here. All right. So that means if everybody brings one next week, we got 240 in here. All right? No, seriously, guys, I'll say this and then I'll close in prayer. You guys have been huge because, here's the deal, with all this construction and room changes and all that's going on, I have not been able to promote the mind like I would like in church because I never knew from one week to the next. And I didn't want to promote, 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 and then us be in a room that could only fit, you know, really 50 to 75 people comfortably and stuff like that. So you guys, you are the underground movement of the mine, all right? And I still need you because, trust me, from now till we get in a new building, I'm not going to really be able to promote the mine through anything else and maybe a bulletin insert. I'm not going to be able to do a verbal or anything like that. It's just it's not going to happen because it's just too unstable at this point. So... You guys are really the ones that get out there and say, hey, the mind's a place where God's encouraging me with His Word. Why don't you come? That type of thing. And being so faithful that many of you come week in, week out. And I just so, I can't thank you guys enough. You are an encouragement to me to get back into the Word and study it hours and hours and hours on end so I can come back in here and encourage you every week. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you. I appreciate you. You guys are great. Hang in there with me. I'm hoping one day my dream, especially when we get to the new building and everything, I'd love one day to see a couple hundred people come out to the mine on a Tuesday night. I think that would be cool to see that many people want to come out and study the Word of God and be encouraged in God's Word. All right, let's pray and I'll let you guys go. Lord God, thank you, thank you so much for your encouragement. Lord, through, through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, through your Word, through other Christians, through... Just so many different avenues, Lord. We are encouraged every day, every hour of the day. And Father, I pray that even just maybe one thing, one verse, some principle, Lord, could be taken away by every person here tonight to encourage them, and then in turn, sometime maybe in this next week or two, to encourage somebody else. Lord, that's what it's all about. Thank You for encouraging us, and as You encourage us, may we encourage others. Lord, bless these folks. Thank You, Lord, for their faithfulness and their desire and hunger to want to continue to study Your Word. And may our group continue to grow. Not that we're looking for just a big crowd in numbers, but Father, we're looking for the evidence that Your Spirit truly is at work on this church campus because more and more people are wanting to grow and mature and grow to the point where they can just be used by You in greater ways and, and just more strategic. And Lord, we just thank You for that. So go with us tonight, Lord. Take us home safely, we pray in Jesus' name. And bring us back next week. Amen. Amen. Hey, there's goodies back there. Again, you guys are great. Thank you. Have a great week.